0: Welcome back to the DHF podcast. DHF encourages and equips Christian leaders and churches to fulfill Christ's mission. You can find out more at DisciplesHeritage.com. Uh, I'm Scott McNay, one of your hosts, and with me is
1: our co-host today, Sam Sears. Hey, Scott, good to be back. And uh, we've kind of traded off doing these with Rick, and we've not got to do one together. So that's, that's kind of nice, getting to do that. And with me, I do have... Nick Peters from Deeper Waters, and uh, he does affirm the virgin birth. For those of you that are know listening know. Who know Nick Peters, you know what that's about. But Nick, could you introduce us and tell us about your ministry?
2: Yeah, well, I'll explain that's about first. Uh, several years ago, I was in a debate in the unbelief of our Facebook group with a friend of mine. And we were debating someone who said he was arguing, well, if Paul believed in the virgin birth, which I do affirm, how come he never mentioned it? And we were trying to explain that Paul's writings were more occasional letters. They were written to address situations in the church. They weren't meant to give a biography of Jesus or anything like that. And we made the point of saying, hey, you know, we got pastors in our churches and they affirm the virgin birth which i do affirm and they don't come out every single sermon and state that they affirm the virgin birth which i do affirm and to illustrate the point we just kept saying i affirm the virgin birth which i do affirm every single post in reply and i just took it outside and it's caught on like wildfire
1: several people that kind of run in our, our apologetics groups and circles you know they will tag you they'll they'll you know, respond to that in the Facebook, that's, you know, your Facebook profile picture and and that's, it's a running gag and it's, it's good, but it's a great point because people expect something from Paul's letters or other copies, other books in the Bible that they weren't written to address. And that's good response to that. So could you tell us about your, your website ministry?
2: Yeah. I'm at com. I have been doing apologetics for about two decades now, hmm. and I I also have Asperger's. That gives me an interesting touch with apologetics, an interesting connection. I do a whole lot of issues related to sexual ethics, New Testament, the existing of God. I, I try and cover some... Of just about everything that i can read nearly anything i can get my hands on as well and i do have a patreon and for all who donate to my patreon i'll say your donations will go help to help a struggling seminary student finishes education namely myself <laughs> i'm currently at new orleans baptist theological seminary just moved down here just started classes
1: and I could really use your support. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll include a link in our show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get started as a blogger? Well,
2: I read Hugh Hewitt's book, Blog, several years ago. And when he pointed out how important it was and made the case for it, such as bloggers doing things, uh, the John Kerry election. John Kerry lost because of bloggers. Trent Lott was taken down because of bloggers. Bloggers did so much, and nowadays I think it's moving more more towards YouTubers, and I'm hoping to find someone who can work with me on YouTube some, but blogging is where it started, and I've been doing it faithfully for years now.
0: Well, it sounds like a lot of the bloggers have moved over to Substack and are doing newsletters at this point. That seems to be kind of an interesting feature mm. that unfortunately costs money and I don't have enough to follow every sub stack. I'd love to got to kind of pick the top three and go with that. But yeah, it's interesting the way that form of media
1: turns. I'll confess I'm not following sub stacks. So I am I did more uh, switching over to YouTube. Nick, even though that's not really the conversation that I wanted to have, you know, you b- did mention that you have Asperger's and that impacts the way you, you see some things and, and gives you kind of a unique perspective. Do you want to, Maybe tell us how that's unique.
2: Yeah. Asperger's it's, I can refer to it as a kind of autism light. We tend to take things very, very literally and social situations are something completely foreign to us. For instance, if I'm on campus, if someone comes to me and asks, how are you? Mm. I know they're trying to be friendly. For me, I'm thinking, I absolutely hate this question. I despise this question. Can we talk about something much more relevant than this? Especially since we're talking about divorce, because
1: when you're in the midst of divorce, mm. you don't want to think about how you are. That brings us to what we asked you on today. You would, had gone through kind of a public divorce with some blog posts. And yep. because I'm a pastor who's been divorced, uh, mm-hmm. I know I joined the Facebook group that you'd started. I've read a lot of your articles. In fact, I read one today about anger and divorce. Yeah. You know, a lot of pastors are going through this now. A lot of Christian leaders are going through this now. And I would just kind of like to hear about your journey. And this isn't to mm-hmm. wallow in the pain that you've been through yeah. or the pain that I went through, but instead it's to try to help somebody who maybe isn't mm-hmm. as far along, but is on that same journey.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I want to make sure also that I really don't want to speak ill of my ex-wife in this regards. I even hate saying I have an ex-wife now, but I don't want to speak mm. ill of her. I honestly pray for her well-being every night. It doesn't mean I'm never tempted with anger mm. towards her. And it definitely doesn't mean I think she's innocent in what she did. But it means I'm trying to have a proper attitude and not let that thing about her dominate my life. But if you had asked my mother, and mothers know their sons best for the most part, usually, if there was anything I had really wanted a lot when I was growing up, oh, he wants a girl in his life. And that's absolutely true. I mean, I had my first crushes in elementary school. And when my ex-wife came into my life, it was such a gift to me. Everyone, pretty much, you saw us said, "Oh, you two are a perfect couple." People complimented us regularly, and if if you saw my Facebook page back then, you knew if there was anything about me, this is a man who loves his wife. Because mm. I posted something nearly every day. Mm. About that, I tried to be the most faithful husband I could be. Mm. And in the end, she left me. I don't really want to say why, but I'd definitely say anyone who would tell you why would say there were no biblical grounds for it whatsoever. Mm. And not only that, I was accused of abusing her, Mm. which has no basis whatsoever and i could put up several several people who would back that and thankfully that hasn't seemed to get a lot of traction anyone who's around can mm-hmm. tell yeah you're now an abuser mm-hmm.
1: i i remember um just, just when it happened and online and after that and you trying to process the emotions, how has it directly impacted uh, just your daily Christian walk?
2: Well, it's very hard to explain. I wrote today about anger. In some ways, you can even have anger towards God in this, saying, why did you let this happen? Especially if you're like me, you're not an open fist and you think God knows the end from the beginning. Why? What was the point of this? Mm. And why I put everything in my life on hold for ten years? In the end, I get broken for it. I've even gone on medication now to help deal with anxiety, which has been a big lifesaver for me. And I, I know there were some times when I'd go to bed at night, and I was living with my parents then. And sometimes before that, I'd have to take a Benadryl just to fall asleep at night. And every now and then, I'd be tempted to think, you know, you got that whole bottle right here. Mm -hmm. And for a brief second, I might think about it. Then I'd always, no, can't do that. It's not the Christian way to do things. And I do want to live my life. I want to enjoy it. I don't want to be a victim Whatever. But my DC, the divorce killer, did tell me that everyone who's gone through divorce... Thinks about that at some point. Mm. Mm. Divorce is really a kind of murder, I've decided, because it takes, you know, the two become one flesh, where divorce cures one flesh. Mm. And it's extremely hard for me when I go to bed at night. Sometimes I just feel lonely and sometimes I can start sniffing just a little bit during the day because I'll think of something sad about it, and I usually pick up and move on, but that's how it's affected my Christian walk. It's affected me in many other ways, but that's how it's affected my Christian walk.
1: I can really affirm what, what you said because it's felt... I was well virgin birth, which I do affirm. <laughs> yes, also the virgin birth, but I, I... Um, I Going through my divorce I also went through the death of my mom Uh, and Mm -hmm. in in a shocking amount of ways they were similar because it was life-changing there was something I was saying goodbye to it was kind of against my will Um, I prayed about it and I got a no answer and and so I I don't want to claim the same level of hurt as someone else or something like that or or, you know somebody has not gone through these things and they've gone through one and they're like oh no it's totally different but for me, going through both, I could connect with that. Mm. And it's, as we're walking in Christ, to go through something like that, mm. it's sometimes hard to go, what's going on? And yep. we're the ones that are supposed to have all the answers and be ministering to other people, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And for me right now also,
2: and I'm going to be out there and be dating again and meet someone again, but also I know there's a lot more hesitancy on my part in my interactions with people. I'm much less trusting of people now, I think, than I used to be. Mm. I want to, but, you know, I had this person who made a promise to me before God and man, and broke it. And I, I also tell myself, you know, I realize... I'm not the only one that she broke a promise to. She broke a promise to God as well. And that scares me sometimes when I think about it. I honestly don't know how she's doing right now. All I know is that from my gavel she's okay. That's all that I care about.
3: Mm.
2: But it, it stings every single day. I'm here at the seminary, and yesterday we had a big convocation meeting, which is fine. And there was my first day of classes. And what happens in convocation? We introduce the new professors who are here. And what happens in classes? The professors introduce themselves, and inevitably, what happens? Pictures of families. Hmm. And I'm not telling them, don't do that. That would be ridiculous. But I will say, every single time I saw that, It kind of stung a bit
1: because I'm saying, that's what I want. Speaking of college, how have other Christians come around and helped you? Or unfortunately, maybe in some cases made things more difficult.
2: Thankfully, I've been lucky in most Christians. I can't even think of one who's made things more difficult. I do know when I applied somewhere, I had to give all the facts relevant to my divorce. But my main contact here was assuring me really, it wouldn't be a problem because he knows I fought tooth and nail to save my marriage. Mm-hmm. And thankfully the church that I attended in Knoxville right before I moved here was very friendly to me about the situation. My divorce care leader was a Sunday school teacher and the church sponsored the divorce care group. And I I attended church here. I'm hoping to be a pastor intern here, and I've already told a pastor he knows that I'm divorced. Here is the situation. At the same time, though, I am kind of hesitant to share in many cases. I mean, I, what I would do is imagine going out on a, girl and she, a date with a girl, and she doesn't really know me, and I say, I'm divorced. And then I also say, oh, I was accused of being abusive. Mm-hmm. And she goes through everything. This guy seems like a nice guy, but what if it's true? What if behind closed doors where he really is abusive? When you think about Ravi Zacharias, for instance, he lived a double life for so long. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not living that. But no one else can really know that
1: for sure. You know, uh, it's interesting that you brought up Ravi Zacharias. I'm kind of glad that that, happened after my divorce, because there was that going into, you know, even though I wasn't accused of that, I was accused of being mean or, or whatever. And, and, you know, there's just all kinds of nastiness, um, that gets said or spread. And and I I was talking to, um, my mentor about after Robbie had happened and just, just general temptations people face. Like, yeah, I want to make sure that I'm not that guy. Yeah. What, Mm. what guards can I put in place to make sure I'm not that guy? Mm. Um, Even though I I don't feel like I'm that guy, but I know the depravity that I have and I just, I want to be safe and sure. And I'm very thankful that I I do have a wife now, but I can remember the temptations I faced as a single man between those two things, between the the two marriages. And that was a challenge to endure. Oh yes. Mm. Yeah. When,
2: When I was walking back from class yesterday, I did wind up talking with a girl who just walked up next to me. I think she was married, but I'm not sure because I saw a ring on her head. But then I, I was just asked, where are you going? She said, oh, I'm going to my car. Do you need a lift back to your place? And I said, I really can't because I'm not going to be alone with a woman who I'm not dating or married to or his family. I can't risk that. I've got... Uh, a friend got me a, a Legend of Zelda doormat that I had requested it, 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 it's most everything. it says you need the boss key to enter <laughs> <Right here. laughs> and he says what's going to happen though if you bring a girl to your apartment and she sees that and I said I'm not bringing a girl to my apartment mm. even if you've been dating a long time I said, yeah, I'm not bringing a girl to my apartment and I'm not going to hers either mm. I know the temptations are to wear Mm-hmm. And one of my first signs, I usually say that someone is going to fall
1: to a temptation is that they think they can't fall to that temptation.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: So Nick, if you don't mind me asking, I forget how old are you? I'm going to turn next month. My age would be the
2: the answer to the meaning of life, the universe and everything.
1: Ah, 42. All right. Yep. Um, I, I think when I was a young man, I thought some of those temptations would go away as I got older and then uh, and learned that, you know, yep. even pastors still have to make sure that they're being pure and focusing their thoughts yep. and surrender themselves before God and mm-hmm. and catch themselves taking every thought captive and going, oh, wait, what's that in there? I mean, maybe it doesn't happen as often, but it still happens. Yeah. And
2: I'm thankful. For this isn't just because I'm so awesome or anything. I'm not. I'm thankful I've been one of those lucky guys, maybe it's because of the Asperger's. I've never struggled with pornography.
3: Mm.
2: Never. But there have been times of temptation since being married, since being divorced, because that is something that you miss, especially if you're a guy. And that, that's something that, that drives you crazy if you're a man. But I know that this is not the right way to deal with that desire.
1: Is there maybe, I don't know if there is any other divorced or currently single ministers out there or or church servants or church leaders who might be listening to us. Is there any specific advice that you would give them in their time of singleness? Uh, Work on yourself.
2: Don't rush into a relationship at all. Don't put yourself in a place of unneeded temptation. Watch the way you are with the women in your life. Our mm-hmm. seminary president, Jamie Dew, said treat every girl on campus like their family to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And Generally, I understand what he's saying. Naturally, though, if you're dating someone, you're not going to treat them exactly like their family. But mm-hmm. I understand, I think we all understand what he's saying. Never ever ever use pornography. Hmm. And if you are divorced, get into divorce care as soon as you can. That was absolutely essential for me. I attended it for a year. And when I moved here, my divorce care leader came with me to help carry all my stuff. We went back and I told him, I don't think I'm going to join another divorce care group, but I'm down here now. He said, I think you've done enough right now that you're now a." half of you're
1: ready to help our here. year. Hmm. Well, it's great that you were able to, to lean into others. I know
3: yeah. uh,
1: on the not as positive side, uh, you mentioned school, and I know both of us have talked a little bit about having to explain lots of questions. And yeah. I, how do you respond to that? Because on one level, I get they need to know, especially maybe in a denominational mm-hmm. um, uh, college or something that's part of their denominational views yeah. uh, and I want to be open but on the other hand I also feel like why am I getting picked on when other people have other issues and I've explained this like 50 times
2: yeah I know we've explained it 50 times but we haven't explained it to this person this time and I've realized that the seminary, which has treated me excellently, I want to say, awesome. wants to make sure that I am someone who upholds my promises and my covenants, that I am especially sexually pure because, let's face it, sexual temptation is the number one way Christian men fail. I mean, I don't have any statistics on that right off but I could say that without hesitation. I guarantee it is the number one struggle that we have. And so I figure, well, I will just tell the truth again and then say, here are some other people you can talk to who are outside of a situation who will back me on this.
1: How would you respond to somebody? I know you mentioned being like an interim pastor, or maybe you didn't say interim, maybe you said a um, pastor intern, pastor intern. Um, You know, I didn't. I didn't get pushback on, say, maybe doing an apologetics blog or something like that, but I did get pushback from some denominations or some areas about serving in the pastorate again because of a divorce. Regardless of the reason, how would you respond to somebody who would say, "Uh, you're ineligible now?
2: Well, I'd say I guess you better cut out about a third of your New Testament, because a lot of that was written by a guy who was a murderer. So he's probably ineligible then, since he murdered people. And I'd also say if we're Christians, we're supposed to be the utmost people of grace and forgiveness. And we really need to demonstrate that. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. And we need to know everything that happened best. If someone is the innocent party in the divorce, I don't see any reason why they should be punished in this way. But if they were wrong for party and we know that they've repented and they've changed their ways and they've done everything in to make things right, let's show grace again to people. Divorce, like I said, is not the unpardonable sin. And people who are going through divorce have enough suffering that they're going through at the time the way you treat them. We, denying them the
1: opportunity to serve God by love only adds to that. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that uh, the, the college there in New Orleans is treating you well. Yep. And then uh, Luther Rice treated me really well. Uh, yep. And so it's out there. But I also I did experience the like snub s- and, and some issues as well that I was no longer eligible and things like that, even though I did not initiate I can even say, on mine. I had a number of people who came to me
2: saying I could get a divorce. And even saying that that could be a good godly option if I wanted to based on the circumstances. And every single time I said, no, if this comes to an end, it's going to be her doing
1: it, not me. I made a promise. I am keeping it. I can't help but add, you know, there's some cultural context there that I think people miss, like women didn't have the right to divorce then. Of course, we have leaders that are both male and female um, and 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 um, Christian servants of all different types. So I know we're kind of talking about it from the male perspective a little bit right now. But regardless of that, I think that is a cultural component uh, that divorce was a little different back then. And then also Paul doesn't seem to be married. And so how literally do we want to take those words? Do we mm-hmm. want to make Paul actually making himself ineligible, as you kind of mentioned, with uh, the murder issue. Uh, And so I think sometimes people have used those guidelines as a sledgehammer. But Mm. it sounds like we're improving across the board as a culture in Christianity in how we treat divorced people. Mm. Uh, Is there any other thing maybe that we, as the church in general, could do to care for our divorced people?
2: Well, first off, I'm also thinking another resource I'd recommend people go to, Craig Keener has been divorced and he's written some great material on this and he's a
1: friend of mine. I've talked to him. I love here and I didn't even know that I've got his ax commentary and you have to study to be able to study that. It's so thick and deep. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He, his story, read his book,
1: impossible
2: love sometime. It's very revering and one of the best biblical responses I've seen to questions about divorce and remarriage It was actually Mike Winger's YouTube channel, to which, in a a humorous note, I've said he needs to write a book with N.T. Wright sometime. Excellent. We can say we have a book by Wright Winger. (laughs) Uh, What else can be done? Honestly, I'd say listen. Hmm. Listen to us. And sometimes... Don't give advice. I, I know as men, we like to solve problems and that can be great. But sometimes I just wanted people to listen and be a friend. One of the greatest stories for me is I had a, a very good friend who lives in Knoxville. He's been divorced. He's remarried now. May it happen to me soon. And he would have me come over to his place every now and then. And we just go downstairs, just us guys. Let me play some video games together. And that was it. And you know, that is such a great release, you're right. I play Final Fantasy XIV online quite a bit. My name is Phoenix Skywing, gone there if you want to look me up. And I play it with friends many times. And that's that's a joy, too. In some ways, I do realize it's a kind of self-medication. I also think it's okay. As my therapist says, and yes, definitely getting a therapist. You might know, rather you be doing that than watching pornography. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Scott, you have
1: any uh, questions for Nick?
0: I mean, the biggest the, that follow up question that you had at the end there is the one that that just sits in my mind the most is how can we better serve the people in our churches that are uh, going to walk through this, and mm-hmm. sometimes it just is unbelievable how surprising it is and who wronged parties are and who offending parties are and and in the mess oftentimes people can just take sides based on relationships and friends and family instead of dealing with the harsh realities of the situation (laughs) instead of pivoting on grace they can judge so quickly and and i think this is great advice for pastors ministers elders and and leaders in the church to l- walk in it first and and teach others to do so as well.
2: Yeah, the Christian church has a habit of shooting at some wounded. Yep. A lot of times, and as I told my divorce killing past, that before you criticize someone, you really need to walk a mile in their shoes. Mm-hmm. That way, when you speak, you're a mile
0: away, and you have their shoes. That's <laughs> right. And if anyone was, that's a Jack handy, isn't it? I don't remember Saturday that. Night Live Jack handy. I'm pretty sure. I, <laughs> yeah. I love I, I it. I heard it years ago and I just hold on to things like oh, that. Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> and uh, obviously we'll include in the show notes. If, if you're going through something, maybe you can uh, look at Nick's blogs on the issues. Oh, yeah, uh, Then maybe they will be a blessing to you. Uh, and there's also contact information there, I believe on the blog. And then there's because, I, I'm a pastor who's been through this. If you're going through this, you feel free to reach out to the DHM yep. podcast and we yeah. can, they'll find a way to hook you up to me or I'm pretty easy to get a hold of anyways. Yeah, uh, I, I think something needs to
2: be stressed to these men out here is you're not alone. Yeah. I do have that group, Christian Men in Divorce. It's a group for guys who are going through this and recovering. And yes, it does essentially take a lifetime to recover. I mean, Sam, you've been here, so I'm sure in some ways you're still recovering from divorce. I, I remember what another divorce friend told me. It was very profound. It stuck me. He says, today sucks. But tomorrow, we'll suck a little bit less. You know, it does get better. It's always hard. It's always painful. There are always temptations. I mean, I, I almost brought a few times in my life to check myself into a mental hospital even it was getting so bad for me. But it gets better. It always hurts.
1: But it doesn't always hurt the same way. There was a Nazarene pastor who was actually connected to my ex-wife. And he was the only divorced pastor I knew. I grew up in rural part of Kentucky where uh, the joke was even the three non-denominational churches in town were part of the Southern Baptist Convention. And Mm -hmm. so... There was this attitude of being very traditional and there was no divorce pastors except for this one Nazarene church. And so I called him up and he walked, walked me through his story just a little bit. And then just, I just want to listen. And I got to spill my guts and he, he kind of knew the other family and everything. And he didn't say anything judgmental. And he just said, you know, this happened to me a long time ago. He gave me just a little bit more detail and I'm still here and God's still in control. You're not alone. And just knowing that, hey, God used somebody else, real and tangible, that I've seen that went through this and they recovered, was mm-hmm. the encouragement I needed to keep moving yep. forward. Because I thought it was the end of the world. It was my biggest fear. Yeah.
2: I, I often said before this happened that I would rather have my whole library burned to the ground than to lose my my wife. I still agree with that. Mm. By the way, there's no doubt to me that this has been the most painful thing I've ever gone through
1: in my life. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm thankful God's still at work in you. And, uh, you know, maybe as we close, could you just give us a pitch for why pastors sh- should check out your apologetics blog and the need for. Uh, I love the name Deeper Waters, by the way, because I, I serve at a church called The Fountain. So, like, I'm all about, yeah. you know, those living water metaphors, things like that. But uh, how. Why do pastors need to dig in to apologetics as well?
2: Okay, my blog is called Deeper Waters because I think too often with Christianity, we're pretty much staying on the shallow end of a deep ocean. Mm -hmm. Our sermons are pretty much self-help lectures that you can get anywhere else. And most Christians do not have a clue about what they believe, and why they believe. We have Christians who have their charts and graphs lined out for how the end times are going to play out, but they don't have a clue about the doctrine of the Trinity. There's a big problem with that, and it's especially hitting our young people who are going off to college and hearing all this stuff. And heck, now they're hearing it in middle school and high school. I mean, look what has happened in Florida with supposed don't say gay bearer. I mean, the things that we used to think were unthinkable 20 years ago, they're now seen as the norm. I was shocked when we got to the point that I had to defend that marriage is between a man and a woman. Now I have to defend that a man is a man and a woman is a woman. Mm. That's how bizarre we are going with the whole woke thing. And issues of sexuality, I think, are right at the core. Of this. One of the worst things that ever happened in our country was the sexual revolution. No doubt about it. that could be the worst that happened because of all the major long-term effects on society. I mean, we've been able to bear back after wars and things like that. No, our culture is still experiencing the moral decline of the sexual revolution. <laughs> and I, mean, I tell people in youth ministry, like, you're offering kids pizza and laser tag and things like this which is fine in itself and what's the other side offering them um sex drugs beer parties guess which one is going to win out for most people in the end Hmm. if christians would be christians we could change our entire country around my ex-father-in-law and I before the uh, 2016 election. We were out once together at a subway getting some lunch, and he honestly asked me, what do you think it's going to take to change our country? And I said, look, America doesn't, the gospel doesn't need America, but America needs the gospel. What where it will take is for the church to be the church to follow the Great Commission for Christians to be Christians. And if we don't know what we believe and why we believe it, we will not be Christians. We have people who know more about their favorite sports teams than they do about Christianity. And guess which one they claim is most important in their lives? Look, I'm, I'm like many of you guys out there. I like to have some time to do my own things. I play my games regularly. I like to watch some TV. But I also try and take my faith seriously and study it and know what I believe and why about it. And with our marriage culture here, I think one of the best things we can invest in is know what marriage is and why it matters. God hates divorce. So do I. I hate it entirely, especially when he's gone through it. But if, Our culture is dropping the ball on marriage. It's because we dropped it first. I think Mm -hmm. we we didn't treat marriage where in the church as a whole. And that's why it's suffering. We definitely need people to come alongside marriages that are struggling before they get to the point of divorce. It's not I don't think it's possible to stop every single divorce from happening, but some people are going to do what they want to do anyway we need to be a community gathering when we make wedding vows the couple makes a vow but guess what the people in the audience also make a vow that they are going to help uphold that couple together and we need to do that mm. so that's just part of why all of this is so important and uh, but I definitely still want to stress guys you're not alone please get help, get connected with divorce care, and if you are seriously seriously wrestling with any issues of self-harm, definitely get help. I'm I'm saying right now, this might sound bizarre, but I've I've watched gaming videos a lot on YouTube, and one of my favorite things is when I watch uh, What Culture Gaming, guy named Jules who does some of his videos on there, but you've seen him. Yeah. but every single video he ends with a bit of encouragement saying you know we've talked about major bosses in video games if there are bosses you're fighting in your own life I and mean, you need to get support and whenever i know it's going to be some cheesy little sentimental thing mean but i always watch those little clips and it's a strange thing. even something back gives me a little bit of support i remember the first time i heard i thought Wow, this is incredible. I wish more people would say something like this. Those little bits of
1: support really do help. Awesome. Well, Nick, I thank you for just bearing your heart out and and sharing with us.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And I do affirm the virtue of verification. One yeah, so that's right. <laughs> As do I. I affirm the virtue.
0: Absolutely. Of me too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the DHF podcast. Please like and subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. And uh, we appreciate it when you share the content out there. You can always connect with us over at disciplesheritage.com or at uh, Instagram, which uh, the handle is at disciplesheritage and uh, we're over at face, on Facebook at Disciple Totage Fellowship uh, thanks for listening today we appreciate it